Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Austin's all sports leader, the Horn. I woke up to the morning sky first. That's right. We rise and grind and talk sports with you five hours every morning, five days a week. I say every morning, five days a week, every weekday morning, right here on Ian Rod B. We do need to pick a new name for the show. We got to get our compiled list. We're going to get that done this week. It'll be I'm done taken this to week. saying "rise and yeah. grind" because I like it. Doesn't have to be the name of the show, but it's what we do. We rise and grind down on the top stories of the day. Have some fun, like the. I found some details on Charles Barkley's new show with Gail King that we're talking about. And off the record, um, oh, it's please. once a week, not every night. That's much better. That's that's it's, more palatable. It will launch this fall. It's yeah. called King Charles with Gail. Okay. King, King Charles with Gail King. So they're doing the King ah, bookends. Little punny. Yeah, got that. Mm-hmm. And once a week, Wednesday nights. And Charles Barkley said, "I want it to be non-political. We don't want to say we're liberal, conservative, Republican, or Democrat." That's one of the things that's already ruined television in general. Oh, he doesn't want to lean. He's talking politics, but not leaning one way or the other. He says, in terms uh, of his his stance, apolitical. Okay. But that's pretty hard to be these days. But at the same time, Charles Barkley Charles will can pull it off. give an opinion. Not many people could pull it off. He probably could pull it off. It's tough to do, but he probably could. Probably be saying a lot. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, but Charles Barkley, coming to a TV near you, you can choose to watch or not. Uh, also, uh, plenty of TV over the weekend with all the NFL games. Gosh, between Thursday and yesterday, 16. All 32 teams were in action, including those Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they lost to the Jags 28-23. Hard, hard to glean much from it. The oh. fact that the Cowboys offense didn't play at all, the starting offense. But this is the time of year where guys like Rod B make their way. Hey, uh, Show D- up. Demo has uh, shown up. He not only made some big plays on the field, I think he had six total tackles. Two of those were so low. He did have that big third down stop you talked about. But what I thought what stood out most about Demo's uh, presence in that first preseason game was the fact that he was allowed – to give like the like the speech after they you know did warm ups and did their their huddle to break down the, the the team, Demo was out there giving words of inspiration, like motivational you know, words of inspiration to well, the he team. He was doing the Ray Lewis thing. It, I mean, I don't know what was said. I would love somebody to ask him like what he said to the team. But there's video of him like giving a, a pep talk to the team. Like he's a rookie. He's a rookie that's been in camp for what two. Three weeks, weeks, three weeks, maybe three weeks. Went to the mini camps and whatnot. Went to mini camps, but as a guy that was a rookie in an NFL training camp, I can tell you right now, that's not normal. That's not really something you see a lot of. And I understand the front line starters and the big time players. They're they're not 
you know, they're not playing in the preseason game, first in the preseason game, so I get that. They usually would be in that role of giving the team a pep talk and breaking down the team. But to see a rookie like Demo, a third-round rookie doing it like Demo, just shows you he's got some clout in the locker room. He's got some street cred already. And the comments from Mike McCarthy about his professionalism and from Micah Parsons about, you know, his, 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 his ceiling and his upside. You know, all those are real things that uh, now we can see the Cowboys are not only big fans in DeMarvin Overshaw and invested a lot in them, but it seems like the team also kind of responds to DeMarvin Overshaw a little bit. He's taking on a leadership role there, so good for him. Yeah, I like That's that. That's not something you see a lot of, man, as a, as a rookie. Good eyes on that. I'm going to, you know, what did I do in the preseason? Like, I watched the Texans game on Thursday night, but then I went to the Astros game on Saturday night. So we were driving down, and then, you know, so I didn't get to see all the games that were on where we were having dinner or whatnot. But the cool thing about the NFL Network is they'll be playing those games back all week long. Yeah, you can go back and watch them. Go back and watch them and really kind of see what you can find from each side. And we'll go through some winners and losers from the NFL preseason weekend. It's absolutely an over, you know, we overreact coming in on Mondays after real games, right? Early in the season. Mm -hmm. These games. Uh, can't take too much from it, but you can see things like Rod just talked about, that a young guy like uh, DeMarvin Overshawn is having an impact in Dallas. Like we know that Deuce Vaughn is having an impact because he was the leading rusher for the Cowboys. He was breaking ankles and shaking dudes up, had a, a long touchdown run uh, where he man, he did he did a Barry Sanders kind of move in the open field mm. to get to the house. But uh, can we hear – I wanted to play this again for the, for the audience. This is a couple of Cowboys insiders, Brandon Belt and Brian Broaddus. Uh, talking about DeMarvin Overshone. Now, it should be known that Brandon Belt is a UT guy, right? Okay. Um, yeah, Broadus went to LSU. So here's when you hear Belt talking about Demo, and then you'll hear Broadus talking about, you know, when, when LSU guys end up in the NFL, he watches them more closely. He's saying that about Brandon. But here are these two guys going back and forth on what they saw from DeMarvin Overshone. We're in number 35. I thought of him as an early day three guy, but this is why the scouting staff gets paid the way they do is because they identify these guys that are really talented. And DeMarvian Overshone is somebody who has checked every box uh, during this process in terms of, you know, the OTA minicamp, the practices into the padded practices, now into this game where he stands up Tank Bigsby in the hole. That's a big running back who who makes his money, uh, you know, being a really physical runner. But DeMarvian Overshone, a guy who it's showing up on the practice field, it's showing up in the locker room, it's showing up on the sidelines as a leader. Just everything you're hearing about him right now, he seems to be everything the Cowboys wanted when they picked him at number 90. Yeah, I think you got him absolutely right, Bobby. I mean, I, I know that it's funny when you go through these, when you watch your university play these games, you kind of feel like you have an idea of where these guys are. Uh, you know, I, myself with you know, with Clark and with Cox, you with Overshone. The one thing with this, with Overshone, that I was super impressed was his ability to fit. You mentioned when he was able to take on Tank Bigsby in the hole right there. He didn't overrun the play. He was square to the line. He saw the opportunity. He knew it was a short yardage defense. He didn't give any ground. He was able to step up, make a physical play, and more importantly, make a, a physical finish in order to to get them off the field. Yeah, there you go. I like that. And you know, I heard a report coming out of Dallas that Demarco Overshawn really wanted zero as his number. Uh, and the Cowboys essentially told him he needs to earn zero to be agent zero, that once he earned it, they'll give him zero. So apparently he has stated to the media up there that he is on a mission to get his zero because he wants to be agent well, zero. Well, I like too. that. And I also like, yeah. and, and here's why, right? I mean, last year's third-round pick was Jalen Tolbert, and he didn't earn any number last year. He didn't do anything. But he's, he maybe, as you pointed out yeah. earlier, 
maybe one of the positive things we're seeing with Brandon Cooks joining the it's Cowboys influence. Yep. is that Jalen Tolbert, maybe the light's going on. Jalen Tolbert was a, a third-round pick out of South Alabama. Mm-hmm. He was the Sunbelt Conference's Offensive Player of the Year, and that's where the Cowboys thought they, this kid has a high ceiling. I know my friend Jake Spavital, the former coach at Texas State, who has coached a lot of NFL quarterbacks. I mean, this kid's really good. I mean, that's an NFL player. Yeah. So, uh, so Jalen Tolbert, don't give up on him if you're the Cowboys. And, you know, you know you have CeeDee Lamb and you've got Michael Gallup a year healthier and you have Brandon Cooks, but Jalen Tolbert may be that fourth guy. He did. I mean, he, he looked really good in the uh, the preseason game for the Cowboys. Uh, and you go look at it, Jalen Tolbert ended up with – I mean, he only had two targets, but two receptions for almost 30 yards. Um, guys like him, uh, Jake Ferguson's – Jake Ferguson's another guy that I think – Stepped up and had a a really good preseason performance. Three receptions for 38 yards on three targets. Cowboys fans concerned about who's going to be the tight end who's going to step up. Looks like Jake Ferguson is you know ready to be you know the that safety security blanket for Dak Prescott at the tight end position. And also looks like I think Jalen Tolbert at least he is the front runner to take that fourth wide receiving spot behind Brandon Cooks and behind, you know, Michael Gallup and behind CeeDee Lamb. And you just brought it up. There are several quotes from Jalen Tolbert himself remarking about the mentorship of Brandon Cooks, how he's taken a young Jalen Tolbert under his ring, told him to flush all that happened last season, all the bad from last season. He said, flush it. You got great skills, and you need to focus on this season. And that mentality has really led to kind of a rejuvenated uh, out, uh, outlook and perspective from J- a young Jalen Tolbert. So if they can get Jalen Tolbert to step his game up, and they're going to need him, guys. We, we know not gonna, there's going to be injuries at position, especially at wide receiver for the Cowboys. If there are, you're going to need one of those guys to step up. It looks like Jalen Tolbert's going to end up being Well, remember, Jalen, Jalen's a bigger guy, right? 6'1", 195, 200. Uh, he's, he's, he's got some size to him, uh, but I like that, so keep an eye on it. And, uh, you know, that third-round pick from last year may be about to pay some dividends. This year's third-round pick already is, as is the sixth-round pick in Deuce Vaughn. You know the big the negative Jeez. I took from the Cowboys game? Give it to me. And when you get a chance to watch it, Ty, you need to watch it. The backup offensive line is awful. And that may be the case for most teams because they didn't start any of their starters. But who did we talk about a little bit ago? Philadelphia Eagles, their first pick, Jalen Carter, the big man out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. He wrecked the Ravens on several plays to start that game. Uh, that dude is a wrecker, and he's now playing for your division rival. You better get Zach Martin figured out because your offensive line behind your starters is not good. The Jaguars just d- destroyed them. Yep. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, and you're going to have injuries. This is my among my big concerns for the Cowboys. Kicker, running back behind Tony Pollard, uh, you know, not Deuce Vaughn. Because, you know, the one thing that's true about Zeke Elliott, right? Zach, uh, Ty, our producer, has a dog named Zeke, and he loves Zeke Elliott. <laughs> Zeke is still a free agent as we sit here this morning. Yes, he is. You know, but the Cowboys had a top five red zone offense last year, and a big part of it was Zeke Elliott had 12 touchdowns. I mean, the guy could find the end zone. Short yardage, he's good, too. Who's the goal line back? Who's the red zone back? Is that Tony Pollard? We'll see. He's never been asked to do that. It was really Zeke most of the time. But at the same time, you kind of feel like you need that. But then, man, if they Tyron Smith doesn't say healthy much, I know you're never going to have all five backup offensive linemen on the field. If you do for any team, that's going to be a real problem. Uh, But their offensive line does not have any depth. And even Mike McCarthy after the game – he had to he had to re, we had to censor himself because he, he said it was a problem, but then he yeah. said, "No, nah, we just have to focus on it." Yeah, he more. said it was a concern, but he said it's a focus. Yeah, we got to focus on that more. Yeah, yeah, it would have been an issue. But that didn't focus. look good because because it, it was like, when like Jacksonville was going with their ones, they were going with their backups too, and they were whooping the Cowboys about you know reserve linemen. 
That's a problem. That is that's a big issue for the Cowboys. They do have some versatility. They have been cross training a ton of guys this offseason. That was one of their big folks that we're going to cross train guys to manufacture more depth because I think they, like you looking at uh, E, they foresee po- possible issues on the offensive line. So, you know, you got Tyler Smith who can play tackle and can play guard for you. And I believe they want to be able to move some of those other guys around too. So that will be the hope. But you're right. They got to get Zach Martin back, period. And Zach Martin knows that too. That's why he's playing hardball. Oh, he's playing the Zeke. Maybe we'll go to Cabo next. He knows. Oh, yeah. He knows how badly y'all need him, man. He knows. Only Pay thing that I Because I know you had a great, great uh, Rod's rant about pay Zach Martin. And you, mm-hmm. one of the comparisons you and mothers have made to Zeke Elliott, right? Zeke Elliott got his big money because he held out. He skipped the line. But I will say to Jerry's side is that Zeke Elliott, that was, he was coming off his rookie deal. That's true. Good point. Zach's this already is, gotten his second this is big third, deal. This will be a third contract. Third bite if at they, the apple. Yes, third bite sign. at the apple. Yeah. Which... Same time, I think Zach has a nice strategy here. He can, he knows who the backup offensive linemen are. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. He knows. And he knows this is a big year for the Cowboys. This is one of those make-or-break years for the Cowboys. Oh, yeah. You're going to reshuffle things a little bit if you don't get past the division around this year. And he knows, hey, man, he can, I'm the, I am the direct path to the quarterback. I am I am right now. I am the only thing keeping your quarterback from you know being on the IR or something like that. So you might want to think about well, it. Well, think about it. I think we all agree. It, it parallels with the Longhorns. If, if you know, we talk about Quinn Ewers, either he's going to be in the draft next April or he's going to be maybe transferring because he had a bad year. And if he has a bad year, everyone's going to be saying Arch Manning or Malik Murphy. So Quinn's in that spot. You know, I don't think Dak Prescott's in that parallel yet. No, but, but he, Mike but, McCarthy but is. His Mike boss McCarthy is. is. Yeah, his coach is. His play caller is. And, and that's why Kellen Moore's out and Mike McCarthy's taking the reins of the offense. And, uh, you know, if they can't get it done again – There'll Dak, be a change. There'll be a change. Well, Dak won't change. Dak no. won't be the change, but there will be a change. Uh, head, and Dan Quinn might just become the coach. And Dan Quinn might be the guy. And so Zach Martin and his agent understand this. And as, as, as Jerry con- confirmed, I got to pay Micah. I got to pay C.D. Lamb. He's trying to save some money for that. And But Zach Martin saying, my window is now. And the leverage belongs to me for everything you just said. And the fact that, hey, I get one more bite at this apple, you need me. And then when you watch them play Jacksonville with the backup offensive lineman, yo. <laughs> be afraid. Be very afraid. Well, and then you can go back to the Eagles and their defensive front. You got to play the them twice a year? You got to play the – Washington ain't no – Washington is no that's joke no up easy, front. Yeah, that's no easy win. That's yeah, a Giants really have a good, pretty – Leonard – yeah. So who's the big big defensive tackle for the Giants who's really good? It's got a big – oh, the uh, Dexter former Williams. Clemson Dexter, Tiger. Yeah. Dexter. Yep. Big good Dexter Lawrence. Time. Dexter Lawrence, sorry. Dexter Lawrence, but they loaded. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, and you and you have one of those schedules because you're the Dallas Cowboys. You gonna play really good defenses, period. Yes. You gonna play the Jets who are a top five defense. You gonna play some really. You can play the 49ers, don't you? Don't you, know, you play the 49ers? You, you do. Yeah, you. I mean, you're you playing got, the first, the second place schedule. Second place. Yeah, schedule. man, you got you play some of the. You might play the best defensive fronts in the NFL, period. Just because well, you play Eagles twice a year, and now you're gonna play the Jets. You're going to play the 49ers. Yeah, the, well, and the Giants have quietly built a pretty good defensive line. Now they got to yeah. get better at some other spots on that team with with Brian Dayball. But Dexter Lawrence, they drafted Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon in the top mm-hmm. ten a couple years ago. Uh, so yeah, I mean, look, it's not just about Zach Martin. They need everybody to be good on that offensive line. But if you watched the other night, their backups are not strong, and you, you can't you don't even know any of them. Uh, they did they haven't really invested in that. That was the, it, Josh Ball and Forniak? Yeah, Forniak. Forniak. Josh Matt Ball. Forn- Matt Forniak. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. Safe to say, after that performance, that Zach Martin can. Hey Jerry, can we talk? 
<laughs> well, you're fining me, or I'm being fined by. Just the- give them a little bonus this year to, to make them come to camp, and and you know what I mean, and and you can work on if they want to get a real uh, a real extension, like a long term extension. Which at at his age, I guess that's you know I don't know what your definition of long term is, but just give him some money right now so he can come to camp right now for for the time being. Uh, just give him thirty two years old. Get him up in there. Just because, get him in uh, there, man. He's important. He's important. Yeah. He's the, the centerpiece of that offensive line right now. The best player. He's going straight to the Hall of Fame when his career is over. Might want to get him in there. All right. So there's some Cowboys chatter. Deuce Vaughn was electric. Demarvion Overshone making a name. Uh, Dak Prescott, none of the offensive starters played in that game against Jacksonville mm-hmm. the other night. We'll see. You wonder if they will in game two. We'll get you the Cowboys schedule coming up. Uh, also coming up, Rod, we're going to shine the spotlight on number 15 in our countdown. We'll reset the uh, back five as well. Mm-hmm. But Notre Dame, Notre Dame at number 15 today. The fighting uh, Irish. To dive in. Before we, you know, because we come back, we'll talk to Pete Sampson. And you've got to run to a, to a doctor's appointment. I do. Wifey's got a doctor's appointment. i got to be there. Got to make sure everything's going, everything's copacetic. Well, and the, as you revealed girl. to our audience, your wife is with child. She is. Yeah. A couple of months away we're, now. Uh, yeah, we're actually, the due date's Texas OU. Ooh. be a Texas OU baby. Hey, so Sark puts a whole new, uh, you know, meaning on that game. My baby girl's going to be born around that time. That's got to be a dub. It's 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 awesome mojo. because the, the videos were circulating on social media because Saturday was 21 days to the start of the season, and you were number 21. Oh, yeah, and my birthday was always around Texas OU. My birthday's always before or right around Texas what OU. What is it, October what? It's like the 6th. 6th October. I need mm-hmm. to remember that. Yep. Uh, but it's always and, around that time. And your, your, your first child's due date is right in that window, huh? The seventh, the oh. due. That's the due date. I know. I don't know if it's gonna come, but I guess you can. I can induce some things if I want to. I don't know. Says, How does we, that work? We get some Texans stuff. We talked plenty of Texans on Friday. Where were you? Uh, we can talk to. Actually, I had a Texans rant ready to go. I, I'll give you a Texans rant tomorrow. Yeah, we will. Because I got it'll a be Texans, Texans rant Tuesday. Yeah, I got and, a Texans. And if you're rant. with us on Friday, the Texans play Thursday night, so we talked plenty of Texans yeah. on Friday. I got a Texans rant for you because uh, I want to get into that Bobby Slowick offense a little bit and how it looked. Not much from C.J. Stroud. The Bobby Slowick offense, you know, I thought it showed some promise once the veteran quarterbacks got in there. Well, and I think he is borrowing not just from Kyle Shanahan but also Mike McDaniel. Some he of the is. stuff that yes. Mike is using. That's why I think I'm Miami excited Dolphins. about the offense because if it's little pieces that he's taken from Mike McDaniel's offense and Matt LaFleur's offense and Kyle Shanahan's offense, then the offense should be good. Just the, the, the philosophy of it, the structure of it. But, yeah, the pieces that you're plugging into that offense, that may take a little bit of time. But we'll see. I, I like, like I said, I, we'll see. I'm not concerned, overly concerned and freaked out about C.J. Stroud's performance, even though some Texans fans are already – it, you know, blowing, getting upset about it, and kind of blowing it out of proportion. Well, since you have to so, run to the uh, to be a good good hubby there and go hear the heartbeat and all that kind of stuff, what um what's your overall thought on Notre Dame? Honestly, I I think Notre Dame's got a shot just because of Sam Hartman. I'm a big fan of, of the quarterback from Wake Forest, the transfer. He's four year starter. I I watched. I I don't know. I went out of my way to watch him. I forgot the offensive coordinator's name at Wake Forest, so I apologize. But they were running a really unique version. Of like the uh, zone read, um, where essentially the quarterback, uh, it, it was just weird the way they ran it. Basically, the quarterback himself would almost act as a a blocker. <laughs> it was a weird concept. But Wake Forest was they were doing some really really cool stuff. But I got a chance to watch him because I was really interested in the scheme itself. Um, but after getting a chance to watch him, he's the real deal, man. He's a winner. 
Yeah, coming up a nine and five year under in year one under Marcus Freeman with Wake Forest. I mean, he's a winner. So yeah, and and quarterback has not been a strength for them. No, Ian Book is the best they've had in a little while. But so we'll talk to Pete Sampson coming up. He covers the Irish and has for a long time. He's with theAthletic.com, their beat writer. His preview where the weaknesses and strengths are with our number fifteen team and a countdown. So we'll be having that coming back next. It says Rod, my daughter was born during the Texas OU game. <laughs> had, her, had the game on in nice. the birthing room. <laughs> <laughs> the unused ticket is in her baby book, and we won the game. Hey, you got to, as I'm saying, as long as you won the game, I love that. As long as you win the game, you're good. If we, yeah, I don't know what you do if you lose that game. Like, I don't know. I should I, should I do I even recognize it if they lose the game and the baby's born around the same well, time? You're having, you, you're, you already know it's a girl. It's a girl. Because yeah. if it's a boy, you name it Big Tex, right? You just go Tex. <laughs> I do not have the name yet either. I, we, have, we don't have the name for the show or the challenge. Well, so, best of luck. Indecisive and, on uh, both of those. Ty and I will carry us the rest of the way <laughs> Thank until you, 11 o'clock. And, uh, Rod, we will replay one of Rod's rants from earlier today, if you missed it, talking all things Longhorns and behind the scenes from that scrimmage. We'll have that for you coming up as well, or the, the behind the burn orange curtain. Uh, but coming next, number 15 on the countdown, Notre Dame uh, going under the Golden Dome on the other side of a quick timeout. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Austin's all-sports leader, the Horn. All right, it's uh, E and Rod B. Rod B. Head, as we just told you, to the doctor with his wife. They're going to make sure everything's going well. So we'll have Rod back with us tomorrow at 6 a.m. We'll carry it. But uh, do have some highlights from Rod from earlier in the show. Also, we'll play uh, a round of Who Said That coming up. Who Said That? Including, man, some horror stories coming out of the uh, the aftermath and the tragedies in Maui and Lahaina. Just unbelievable. Uh, death toll is now officially just under 100, and I do believe that's going to rise significantly unfortunately and just the, the the eyewitness accounts of what went on um just and now what is the the deadliest fire in america north in american history uh just uh just terrible uh and we'll hear that coming up plus some other fun stuff and what uh, who said that a segment before the top of the hour but right now as we said it's time for number 15 and our countdown to number one the 20 best college football teams for the upcoming year in our opinion let's hit number 15 Now, this would be the time of the uh, previous show I hosted where Bucky Gobble would sing the uh, Boston College version of the Notre Dame fight song, Notre Dame, in at uh, number 15 and uh, coming off a 9-5 and five season. And, the, you know, as, as Rod B. said on the way out, the, uh, the emergence and the transfer of one Sam Harton, Hartman to help rev up the offense for Marcus Freeman in year two. And uh, what will it be? Uh, and we'll find out here coming up, get an insider's preview of what Notre Dame is all about. We'll also run through their schedule and what they're going to be at number 15. With that in mind, can we go to the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina hotline? He is uh, covering the the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and has for a long time. He's at theathletic.com. Our friend Pete Sampson to talk some Notre Dame football. Pete, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Doing good, doing good. Your second full year under Marcus Freeman. Can I start with... Last year's nine and five campaign, and uh, where things stand with the fans. How are they feeling about Marcus Freeman at the helm of the uh, the Irish program? I, I'd say cautiously optimistic, um, and I think you know you get a lot of questions like, "Well, how much better is Freeman going to be in year two than year one?" And like, I get it; it's all all important for a first year head coach to no longer be a first year head coach. But I mean, the biggest reason Marcus Freeman is going to be better in year two than year one is his quarterback is a lot better. So I think that's 
that's really driving so much of the optimism around Notre Dame right now. It's it's maybe less about the head coach than it was a year ago and so much more about the quarterback. In the era of the transfer portal, a player that's played a lot of college football at the uh, the high level of the ACC there at Wake Forest, Sam Hartman, is now in control. How how great of an upgrade is that for the Notre Dame offense, Pete? I mean, it's massive because it lets Notre Dame's offense operate in a sort of modern mode where the quarterback can make plays. He can be the reason you win. It's not Notre Dame's been sort of stuck in this game manager mode for a long time. Um, and they've had some really, they've had some good game managers, but the last time they had a quarterback that could go out and just win you a game, um, you know, whether it be Brady Quinn or Jimmy Clausen, like it's been a long time. So I think the, that's the, that's the best case scenario with Hartman. Um, and I'm not saying that he needs to go out there and just be a gunslinger and throw 40 touchdowns and look like Joe Burrow 2019. But he is should be able to like let Notre Dame go into games against USC or Ohio State and not feel inferior at the quarterback position, which is really where Notre Dame was last season. Uh, also, they are typically really good up front, and uh, offensive line has been just an absolute you know bell cow of the, that program. Uh, where does that stand, and what are the uh, the main weapons on the on the rest of the offense for Marcus Freeman? Their tackles are elite. I mean, Joe Alt will be a first team All American. Blake Fisher probably, you know, maybe a fringe All American, but certainly a maybe a day two NFL guy at a, at worst. And then, you know, but the offensive skill positions like they're good at running back with Audric Estime. Their tight end should be solid. There's no Michael Mayer. Um, the receivers, I think, is a, a big concern for Notre Dame right now. Um, and, you know, it's like from your area, Jaden Greathouse, who played down at Westlake, like they're they're relying on him to come in and do something right away as a true freshman. Um, and that's like, you know, typically you don't – college football playoff contenders are not relying on true freshmen across the board. But at receiver, they're, they're really going to need a surprise to, you know, a young player to take a huge step forward and – that's um, that's going to leave you with some inconsistencies along the way, but they, they need somebody like a great house who seems incredibly mature from talking to him up here. Um, you know, and he played a sophisticated offense down there. That That's the kind of player they need to really have a breakout freshman season. It's interesting because we covered Jordan back in the day, obviously. And, you know, one of the at Westlake, which is a power program in the state of Texas, he was a starter as a freshman here. Uh, for Westlake, so you know he was on the team as a freshman, which is rare at a program like that. But man, if anybody can do it, it'd be Jaden Greathouse and just a an all around ball player without a doubt. And you know Braylon James, a kid from this area who was was recruited there, and uh, yep. uh, no doubt Marcus Freeman has made the state of Texas and even Central Texas a priority uh, with he and his coaching staff on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I mean the receivers coach uh, Chancey Stuckey was at Baylor. You know, he knew all the receivers in Texas. They, so his first year, they, you know, KK Smith was is another guy. They got three, four receivers last year. Three of them were from Texas. Um, Greyhouse by far the most um, sort of out of the box, ready to go. Braylon James, I think the staff sees as more of a, de- a developmental prospect, like very athletic and talented, but just super raw. Um, Greyhouse, like. Man, you you would have a hard time finding guys playing in, at a higher level of football than what they do at Westlake, you know, or Kate Klubnick's quarterback, and that's um, they they expect that to translate. I think he had 11 catches in the spring game, uh, wow. and just he's just 
you talk to him and you feel like you're talking to someone who's 28 years old, not 18. <laughs> and I think that it sort of comes across in the way he plays when you watch him at some of these open practices that I've been able to go to. Awesome. Pete Sampson with the athletic.com covering Notre Dame number 15 in our countdown uh, on the defensive side, you know, up front, Isaiah Foskey and three other, you know, one of the three veterans that's moving on. So you got to replace some guys there and really wasn't a great red zone defense for Notre Dame last year. How do they improve that side? And that's Marcus Freeman specialty. Uh, what is the, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the defensive side? At corner, it's probably as good a group of corners as Notre Dame has had 10 years at least. Um, And that's, you know, they have had some good corners along the way, um, but I think in terms of depth and then frontline guys, Ben Morrison was a freshman All-American last year. Uh, I think their linebackers will be very good. They're very old. Um, It's basically grad students across the board there. Uh, Defensive end, that is where my big concern is and it's not like they don't have options there but there's nobody who really has stepped up as like a reliable player and if you don't it's like if you don't have a strong pass rush from the edge then how good your corners are like nobody's going to be able to guard for six eight seconds a time if you can't get pressure so that's the big question mark of the defense if they can get moderate pressure from the defensive end spot, I think this should be a, a good defense. Um, if they can have like sort of a, a surprise story, whether it be Jordan Batello, who's a senior from Hawaii, who has played a little bit, or Jamonte Jean-Baptiste, who was a grad transfer from Ohio State. If they can get a surprise there, um, then the defense has a chance to maybe be better than what people think. But um Corner, linebacker, those really should be big strengths for this group. Strengths for the team. It's Pete Sampson talking Notre Dame, number 15 in our countdown on the way to number one. Offense now has a leader in Sam Hartman. Defense, um, you know, obviously has some guys to replace up front, but really strong behind that. What about the schedule? Obviously, it's always a tough schedule, you know, nationwide schedule for Notre Dame, Pete. And um, obviously, you guys are playing a week from the week from Saturday. You guys are in Ireland, Dublin, to yeah. play Navy. So the you guys are way ahead of the curve on that at, at at South Bend. Talk about the trip to that. Then you come back play Tennessee State ahead of a trip to NC State. There's also the big one with Ohio State late September. You know USC at Notre Dame Stadium in the middle of October, and then a trip to Clemson on the the schedule in November early on. Uh, it's daunting. It's as good. You know Notre Dame's always going to play a tough schedule. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very difficult schedule because it's I mean you've got the three games at the top and like yeah they're you know if you're in the SEC you're going to play three teams probably the equivalent of Ohio State USC and Clemson but I I really feel like the the draw they got from the ACC is kind of sneaky difficult like NC State Duke were very good last year Pittsburgh plays them tough um, Louisville with Jeff Brown what are you going to see there who knows. Um, but I think that NC State game, it's Notre Dame's third game. I think it's week two of the actual like yep. the college football season. Uh, they play at noon, Carter Finley Stadium in Raleigh. Like NC State is good enough to beat Notre Dame if Notre Dame shows up with like a a C plus performance. Um, and that that is one of the growth areas where I think Marcus Freeman really needs to show something in year two. Is like how do you get the team to be more consistent and more sort of level headed when they play? So you don't run into a Marshall or a Stanford like last season where it's just a complete flat tire. So if they can get NC State, then they'll be undefeated when Ohio State comes here. It'll be a top-ten matchup. Um, 
know, but you, you got to get over that first hurdle of NC State before you can start looking ahead to like, okay, these are the, the big three games of Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Two of them are at home. So you figure, you know, there's there's a chance to, to make some noise there against some some legit playoff and national title contending type teams. No question. USC at uh, number four in the preseason, Ohio State five, Clemson nine, and then you know, uh, Pittsburgh's in there too, a good team out of the ACC, Stanford at the end of the year. Hey, um, Pete, the, the ACC and its potential growth, obviously your thoughts just as a college football fan on the collapse of the Pac-12 and uh, the further growth of the Big Ten and the Big 12, where does this stand? Obviously Notre Dame reportedly has been a proponent of adding Cal and Stanford to the, the ACC. That got voted down over the weekend. Uh, where does this stand from your perspective from Notre Dame and just your, your, your general opinions on what's going on? I mean, Notre Dame would love it if the ACC would add those teams, um, not just from the, the academic component um but just like the acc has been i think pretty good for notre dame um but notre dame really likes to sort of be on both coasts as much as possible well if you can have a conference that's on both coasts um that allows you the flexibility the acc does that's a that would be a a big win for notre dame so it's you know what happened to the pac-12 is a shame as a college football fan so you know somebody grew up on like the big 10 pac-12 10 Rose Bowls um, when I was a kid, like that's, that's tough to sort of see that fall apart, mm-hmm. um, you know, but in terms of making the best of it, what's good for Notre Dame isn't necessarily good for the ACC. I understand why the ACC's position is what it is, but um, you know, it, I'd be interested to see if Notre Dame would be willing to give a little to the ACC to get uh, Stanford and Cal. And I'm, I'm doubtful that they would, you know, maybe take on a, a fifth ACC game, or make some other concessions, but um, I understand why it makes sense to Notre Dame, I, but I also understand why it doesn't make sense to the ACC at large. Yeah, it's interesting. And reportedly that vote was uh, you know, one vote shy. They need 12 of the 15. Notre Dame is on board, but uh, four votes against, including both, North, both Carolina schools, uh, also Florida State and Clemson voted against it. Uh, for whatever the reasons. And there was some reporting, uh, I think Sarah Arbach at TheAthletic.com, that uh, even at, at those universities, at some schools, the AD and the president are in disagreement, right? The leadership at, at individual schools yeah. are not sure what they want to do. Any prediction on how this will play out? I, I have a hard time seeing Stanford and Cal not getting picked up by somebody. Right. Um, you know, I, to me, I feel like, Cal and Stanford, maybe they'll end up in the ACC, but on the same terms as like Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten, where you're sort of like also in there and getting like a partial share right. um, of revenue to start, and then maybe you can become a full member later. But it just, especially with Stanford and their their sports programs, um, it just it doesn't make any sense for them to be unattached entirely. I mean, I think the best case scenario is the Big Ten is like. We're just going to have an entire six-team West Coast block. But um, I understand why the money doesn't make sense for either of those leagues to pick them up, and the travel's uh, difficult as well. But it's college football's a mess, man. Uh, I'm I'm excited that the games are about to start. We can talk about those. But uh, the offseason, it's been yet another rough offseason for a sport that just no one feels like they're really in charge. He is Pete Sampson, Notre Dame beat writer for TheAthletic.com. Are you headed to Dublin, I'm sure? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Got an overnight flight uh, two weeks from tomorrow, which is kind of hard to get my head around. Uh, But, yeah, I'll be – I'll be flying over there uh, for the the short weekend. But it's – yeah, it's been fun to sort of see 
how Marcus Freeman year two in San Hartman looks um, from Aviva Stadium in Dublin against Navy. All right, well, uh, enjoy that. Safe travels, and then uh, we'll check in again as the season goes. There's some heavyweight matchups in there that we would love to get a deep dive conversation on. Thank you, Pete. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks. Find Pete Sampson on Twitter and uh, all of his work at TheAthletic.com on Twitter. It's at Pete Sampson underscore. And, yeah, man, how about that game? Navy and Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland. That'll be, uh, obviously, the Fighting Irish. It'll be a partisan crowd, but uh, Naval Academy will bring a lot of fans, too. That one will be a lot of fun. And as our friend Craig Flowers, how about this guy? Craig Flowers on the Horn app says, uh, bringing it from Steamboat, Colorado, here trout fishing all week. Way to go, see see Flowers. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'm sure it's cooler in Steamboat than it is here. Uh, but he says, remember, South Bend is actually in the north. North Bend is in the south in French Lick. Well, it's not where you think it is. Exactly. There. Ding, ding. Nice job, Craig. But, yes, yeah, South Bend, Indiana. Hey, we come back. We will play a little Who Said That, uh, including some of the behind-the-scenes horror stories coming from uh, Lahaina, Maui, and the Hawaiian uh, tragedy that we're all keeping our eyes on. Also some sports. Who Said That, including a lifetime longhorn making waves and living the dream with the Dallas Cowboys. Coming back. Always fun on uh, this segment, 945-ish, to do a little who said that. Usually Rod Babers will be here, and we try to grill each other, play a piece of audio, and we try to decide who said that. Or as we had last week, who sang that. We had Craig Flowers' daughter singing the national anthem. I did have some audio on my phone. It didn't come out as great as I wanted, but I was at the uh, the Astros game on Saturday night, a sellout crowd, and it was a real treat to get there. Got there about 5.30 for the 6.10 start and uh, got to see my favorite player growing up, Bill Doran. And uh, enshrined in the Astros Hall of Fame, and uh, you know they did. They had Todd Callis, the Astros' current TV broadcaster, was out there and introduced. Uh, you know, Bill Doran and Bill Brown also went in. If you're an Astro fan, you know Bill Brown. Thirty years, he was a TV broadcaster all through the Killer B years and Bagwell Biggio. Uh, they played a great highlight of, of him calling Craig Biggio's 3,000th hit, and uh, which was really neat in the building, and everybody got fired up. And you know, so it's not just the, those guys. They come out in their bright orange jackets, their Hall of Fame jackets, and then a bunch of the uh, the, the previously enshrined Astro uh, Hall of Famers were there, including Bagwell and Biggio. Lance Berkman was there. Um, you know, Terry Poole was there to greet in the newest members, and uh, uh, Larry Durker was there, which was really cool. And it was neat to see. And I'll say this, Ty, Bill Doran. So Bill Doran, I, I was in 1983. I was 11 years old, and so and I grew up playing baseball and grew up playing infield mostly. I was mostly an infielder, second base, shortstop, third base. And Bill Doran became the Astros' everyday second baseman in 1983, and he was the opening day starter for the Astros for eight years. So from '83 to 1990, so he, he was my guy, right? From 11 to, to 18, I'm, I'm that's my guy. He's playing second base, and he's from from Ohio, Cincinnati. And he played the game kind of the way Pete Rose did. He would play like balls to the wall, man. He was all out and, uh, you know, great clutch hitter, great performer, stolen bases. I mean, just a really, really good ball player. And I always say I, I felt like he got cheated a little bit because Ryan Sandberg in, in Chicago with the Cubs was the, you know, considered the best second baseman in the National League and might have been, but it was close. It's closer than most people think. As if I said that I think there were years in which – 
Bill Doran was better than Ryan Sandberg, Cub fans would, would get all mad. But he, they really were. But he played on the Superstation. He was on WGN. The Cubs were a bigger deal. And so it would always be no, uh, Ryan Sandberg who would be the all-star second baseman and starter and all that. So I'd all get, I'd get all mad about it, bent out of shape. But it was still cool to see him. He's looking great. And he and his whole family were there. Bill Brown as well. And the Astros went on to win that game 11-2. to. Uh, 11 to 2 or 11 to 3, whatever they beat the heck out of him. Kyle Tucker had a big home run. So that was cool. Billy Dorn, uh, awesome to see him go into the Hall of, uh, Hall of uh, Astros Hall of Fame. Also, did you see Ty over the weekend? The Dodgers um, finally retired the number of Fernando Valenzuela, Fernando Mania, which swept baseball in 1981 when this guy, unknown guy, left hander, 20 years old, 20 years old. So I came up from, from Mexico and took baseball by storm. He went 8 0. In eight starts uh, in their stretch run, he he completed five of them. Fernando, they went on to win the World Series. Fernando Mania, I remember, I was you know nine ten years old, unbelievable. So he him. just came in into the season, yes, carried them through the postseason. He was twenty, he was twenty, and helped them win a World Series. That's crazy, and was unbelievable. He threw a screwball that you couldn't hit. He a screw went the wrong way. I mean, most guys, if you're left-handed, you throw a ball that breaks to the right. His ball would break back to the left. It was unbelievable. So that was really cool. Also really cool, let me play this for you, Ty, and who said that. You know who this is, but I think our audience would like to hear from uh, one of the newest Dallas Cowboys who shined on Saturday night in their play their game with Jacksonville. He's just happy to be wearing a star on his helmet, a kid from Texas playing for, the, uh, for America's team. I did, definitely, you know, putting the jersey on. You know, I put it on for OTAs, but it was for pictures. But, you know, putting it on and putting my armbands on and my sleeve and realizing that I'm going to do this for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, a lot of people dream about that. A lot of people say, man, I want to do that. And uh, I'm, I'm part of that 1% that, that got the chance to do that. So I, I definitely, before the game, took five deep breaths and just, just soaked it in. And like I say, I, I wouldn't want to be nowhere else. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And, you know, like I said, I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, not just having an impact in camp and then on I the I thought of him as an early And then on the field and uh, the guy's just making plays. But he's also so appreciative to be picked by the Dallas. Remember on draft night he was just blown away that the Cowboys called him and selected him. And Deuce Vaughn's in the same place, right? Deuce, one of the highlights of the draft last April was when Deuce Vaughn was called by his father, Chris Vaughn, who is a scout for the Cowboys, to announce that they're drafting him, which was really a cool moment. And uh, Deuce is loose. He looked good on Saturday night, too. Cowboys have a couple of keepers there in their draft class. Mozzie Smith, I think, is going to be a real keeper for them on the offense, on the defensive line. And uh, Luke Shoemaker, the tight end. So good good draft class, it looks like, for the Cowboys. One other piece of sound I wanted to play, and who said that, Ty? You're not going to know who this is, and neither do I. But this is – listen to this closely. As we're all watching in horror at what uh, what's going on in Maui at Lahaina on the big island there. And this is at a shelter. You have to picture this. This is, a, this is a, a, and you'll hear him say it. He's a, he's a lifelong Hawaiian who grew up on the water. So he's lived there his whole life. He probably looks like he's 60, 70 years old. And here's him describing the night that the, uh, the fires began in Lahaina. And uh, now an eyewitness of, and we're seeing more and more of these, of what people were dealing with in that uh, complete tragedy. It was a fire storm. I know, but... There was tornadoes of ash the size of charcoal from a barbecue, like being thrown by baseball players. I'm ducking behind walls. I had to kick in the door at Bubba Gump's to get out of it because I was getting pounded. And then Bubba Gump started on fire and I'm running down Front Street and the wall, there's like 80 people and the ocean was on fire. 
firefighter told me because the first layer of ash causes a seal. And then the next layer of ash was all the ambers. So the tide line was on fire and had to jump through the water and come up through the fire. And 80 people, they were on the wall, everybody started jumping in. Coast Guard was out there grabbing people. And I was like, no, I'm good. I was born in the water. I'm a cod. And they're grabbing people and I swam. I knew my phone was only good for like 15 seconds being submerged. And then swam for like a half mile north. It was like nothing you've ever seen. This was bad that the people in their cars that were dead and from asphyxiation and the fire blew out the car and you just saw the numbers of the dead are so wrong. Unbelievable. That uh, Can you even imagine, Ty? I mean, a tornado of fire. If you can imagine, try to put yourself there. It's, a, it's apocalyptic, but everything is on fire. They estimate now that 2,200 structures were burned to the ground. There's so, some conspiracies going on. Well, I'm not going there. Not yet. Not yet. not going there. I'm doing some research. Um, but, you know, I, I think I agree with what he said at the end, that the, the death toll is, is much higher than what they're saying. But, again, they have to confirm that. Uh, they've got to try to con- get in touch with family. They're not just going to put out numbers. Uh, haphazardly, but I think anybody that was in it will tell you that was or a part of it. It was worse than what they're saying, but it's not. I don't think there's a conspiracy to cover that up. They have to confirm who's where people are, and I think there are still people missing. Because look, people, as he said, were just jumping in the water. I mean, they had nowhere to go because, you know, if you're in a in a massive blaze like that where the entire city or town is on fire, essentially, 2,200 structures plus all the trees, and the winds blowing Ty 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. I mean, this was in the middle of a hurricane. Hurricane Deborah, Debbie or Deborah was causing these these gale forth winds that were pushing the fire. So as he said, it, it was a it was a storm of fire, um, and you can't even imagine. You have nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. You're on an island, and you're the roads are blocked, and people are in their cars, and it's just standstill traffic trying to get somewhere. And as he said, people, and, and you have to imagine. With the winds blowing that hard, and we saw this in Bastrop with winds half that, and what kind of damage can be done very quickly. I mean, it's just moving so fast. It's the perfect fuel for a fire like that. And um, gosh, those stories will be told, and it's just heartbreaking to say the least. And it's now already the largest casualty count in a fire in American history. Obviously, if you can help, I know they're doing donations and Red Cross and all of those things. And obviously, Maui, not an easy.